Hey there, Gotham Gawkers. Welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation on the wide world of filmdom. I'm just your friendly asylum dweller, Joe Soria, along with the kingpin of the underworld, Steve Ermosi. Hello. There he is. He is the kingpin. On today's breakdown, we will be digging into a spoilerific discussion of The Batman, just in time for its release on HBO Max. We are not fancy enough to get another screening to watch it again that way, but we did see it in theaters at some point, so this is a a little delayed reaction that I'm hoping we, I think we've, I think we can, we've, we've got the gist of it. And just to be clear, uh, you know, we can try to avoid spoilers. I don't know if there are spoilers for Batman anyway, but if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want something spoiled for you, we suggest hold off listening to this until after you do. And maybe not right after spending three hours watching the Batman, you would then listen to this for a half hour. It's probably not pleasurable. Give yourself a little reprieve. You're still listening. And if you don't know that <laughs> he's an orphan, by this point, you've gone too far. Go back. Go back now. And if you don't want to be spoiled that there's eye makeup on Batman, if you don't <laughs> want to be spoiled that the Pat Bat is around and that who's playing the Riddler and all this other BS, they're not secrets. So we're free roaming here. And we haven't recorded in a little while, so I was just doing a little check-in, Steve-O. Any, any uh, comic info, news, ideas, thoughts, bad movies you want to rip on? What's been in your month of a break from Joe? You know, so... I went to go see the Batman and I believe they had a Morbius trailer in my theater when I would see that. And I was like, oh, that's a movie I will never, ever watch. And the initial reviews seemed to confirm exactly what I thought about it. And I Jared Leto, like, could he play the, the Joker and Morbius at the same time? And they like enter. This would be the connective issue between DC and Marvel. Yeah, they should do like a Elseworlds crossover, I think, for between his Joker and his Morbius and they should kill each other and they ever come back on screen again. Can't wait. No, I mean, I, I, I all right. That's, that's enough of like shitting on stuff. I'm also, <laughs> I'm also very excited for a bunch of new comics and stuff. Like we were talking about before, obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, both of our, like one of our favorite writers, Jeff Lemire is doing another book called the bone orchard mythos, which is like going to be a bunch of weird, like little, like a graphic novel and like a five-part miniseries. And he's doing, he's releasing the first book on free comic book day in a month and a little bit less than a month, I believe. And he's doing it with Andrea Sorrentino, who he worked with on Gideon Falls. So I am super looking forward to that. If you're looking for comics news that's not Jeff Lemire, good luck on this show. Because I see, I feel like we just <laughs> like every damn time. As much as I try to like vary things. I'm sure Scott Snyder, I get that alert. You know, there's a lot of things coming out. I just, I, honestly, I haven't been reading too much new, new stuff. I feel like we've been, we've been in and out and I've been reading a little bit more and you've been writing a little bit more. And I think we're, we're shifting our focus from live new releases of comics, unless there's something of major note that we want to cover that's in our, our wheelhouse. Right. I mean, yeah. would I rather talk about the Batman or talk about, I don't know, another, I mean, I do love noir comics, but I don't know how many more times people want to tell us to talk about the darkness of the shadows and whatever else and not get to the ending. Volume two of Good Asian? The Good Asian is coming out soon, though. So that's right. another one to, to keep an I, eye on. I will read it. We can cover it, but I don't think we have to go as deep in it. Maybe we get, yeah. I think, I think that's why we're, you know, the stack's got to come up. We used to do the stack for four and a half hours. So maybe a, <laughs> a five part stack, Steve, like a full day. Those are like double episodes, basically. I mean, if you want recommendations, guys, go back into the catalog, the stack, what's on the stack of those, those used to be what, three and a half hours, maybe four. We had the double episodes. And yeah, I just split up into two or 
Fantastic. That's why we were more patient. That was mid COVID. It's like, oh, can't go outside. <laughs> Let's give the big news. I mean, we're going to see, I haven't, I don't think I've ever, I've got dinner with you once, but we're going to see Letter Kenny live tomorrow too. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty cool one. I have that on the review list, honestly. I didn't tell you, but I think, I think the people want us to do Canadian accents. That's what I've heard. I'm, anytime you want to talk about Letter Kenny, they just did a, uh, a women's day. I'm behind. We're, we're catching up. For some reason, I never finished. We kind of take breaks because I get like hot and cold of just like it beats you down a little bit. If you have that much, it's like six episodes is enough for a season. So we are, I think, right in the eighth season where Stewart is getting just beat up. Someone is getting buff where it took three seasons for him to go back and confront the the drug dealer with these women that you forget even exist from like five <laughs> seasons beforehand. I do love how the show just kind of. I mean, it's not that far, but it feels forever the way how it's separated there. They put out like two seasons a year. They have, what, 10 seasons now? It's been out since like 2015, I think. <laughs> you know what? So it sounds like we both, I feel like a letter Kenny overview is in the in the dialing. So we're not recording it tonight. We're tomorrow. I will be driving down to Bread Bank and uh, we will be seeing it. So hopefully maybe we'll get that. Maybe, maybe we can make that. Chris's uh, guest spot, our, our music maker. Yeah. I'm sure we could have a Letter Kenny Roundtable. That would be a real waste of time, but someone will enjoy it. I think it's a good idea. All right, Letter Kenny Roundtable on the house. That's it. I think that's it for our little check-in. That was fun enough. Why don't we just go right into Batman, Steve-O? I have a little synopsis here. I'm sorry, let's, let's, let's get an enunciation right. Is it the Batman or is it the Batman or the Batman? I believe it's the Batman. What about the Batman? It's, yeah, Batman. Hello, Batman. I'm going to be on social media, Batman. Oh, wait, that's Bane mixed with the Riddler guy. Okay, why don't you do that synopsis? Then we'll have a little more fun. Go ahead. All right, all right, all right, all right. Officials, official, official synopsis. Batman, the Batman, ventures into Gotham City's underworld when a sadistic killer leaves behind a trail of cryptic clues. As the evidence begins to lead closer to home and the scale of the perpetrator's plans becomes clear, he must forge new relationships unmask the culprit and bring justice to the abusive power and corruption that has long plagued the metropolis. That was the official, that's the official. The metropolis, they have the last word in the thing about Batman is the metropolis. Something I feel like they could have said the city. Zack Snyder, thank you for the synopsis. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a shit, right? I, I feel like someone's got to pass that by Matt again. Not a great official synopsis. I know. Like it when I was no. It's bad, but you know what? I take it as it is. That makes it better. We can make fun of it because I'm pretty sure I know we either of us could write this better without even watching. You, the can, you cannot use the word metropolis in the fucking synopsis. For so, what someone did was like, I can't write city again. I already used Gotham City. <laughs> so I just, well, I go into uh, synonyms and I go city. It's the and in the city and they're like, yeah, yeah, the first yeah metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not a Pueblo. It's not a Pueblo Cito. It's not a, a, a small town. It's she York. She York. What how do you make Chicago and New York? Do you know what New, do you know what Chicago? Gotham is actually supposed to be? Do you know New Jersey is what I've been told? Yeah, yeah. It's which like, doesn't make sense either because it has 15 bridges. I mean, New Jersey has some bridges, but it's not a little city. It's a state. Do you know where Metropolis is supposed to be? New York, I guess. Here's a fun, here's a fun little piece of trivia. It's supposed to be in Delaware. What the fuck city in Delaware is anything like Metropolis? I think it's where the Waffle House is next to, <laughs> uh, next to the university. I used to have to do the, 
the I-95 Express. If Kate's listening, she's not. But I used to drive about 125 down the, the turnpike. That last three exits of the turnpike, like Bordentown down, get on it, you know, and I go 125 over the Delaware water gap. Sure. We're past the, the limitations, right? I mean, it's like... I think Delaware are all bets are years ago. There's no laws. Well, all bets are on. I believe you, you could gamble there for sure. So, uh, you know, but all bets when it comes to, to that are off. And they is the first Waffle House from the north, I believe, when you go south is oh, right there. Delaware? Yeah, right there in Delaware. If you go west, you can get into Pennsylvania. But Jersey, we're union country, so we don't have that. This is really being a helpful Batman episode. I hope you guys are really enjoying. I, I feel like everybody's appreciating this. But anyway, Metropolis is in Delaware. I'm going to call Leland. Is he going to cut it? Is he going to cut it? I don't know. I think I'll leave it in. It's uh, enjoyable enough for me anyway. See, this is what fun is, guys. We usually just sit here and discuss the ins and outs of the plot mechanics of something that's been like 15 years on like based on 15 comics. Now we're giving the real nitty gritty. Where's Metropolis supposed to be? All the goods. It's here. So, all right, we got some credits. I'm not going to do them. It's just Matt Reeves, director and writer. And we're going to go through most of the actors if we should replace them and Who's the best this and who's the best that? So, and who's afraid of the big black bat? Let's do initial impressions on this movie. We're, we're back to the Batman 2022, the first major release of the studios in 2022. Steve-O, what are your first impressions of the Batman? Well, you know what you're going into probably even before you set foot in the theater on this one, but you are proven absolutely correct about that the moment that the movie starts. It's like you're not allowed to say but, you have to say bat. I'm just letting you know. Bat. bat. I'm going to try to remember that. <laughs> Bat. <laughs> Bat. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like, it's it's just dark, gritty right away. And you're like, oh, this is, yep, I knew that this was going to happen. And it is now. It's somewhat expected from, from like, Matt Reeves, who has, like, a really kind of all-over-the-place ouvoir. Yeah, let's stop for a second there, actually, because I want to, I'm going to go right to that. Uh, have you ever looked at his career page? I didn't know about all this. I, I guess I'm not as as hot on 90s WBTV, but I guess he is the WB. 90s WBTV? He co-created Felicity with J.J. Abrams. That's one of his first no. credits. He also, in that same era, directed a little film called The Paul Bearer, with David Trimmer and J- Gwyneth Paltrow, which is a rom-com of sorts. I know we did like a couple rom-coms. At the same time, he wrote Under Siege 2. And I'm just like, <laughs> what is this career we've got here? So Felicity with J.J. Abrams. So you have two of the biggest, like basically action directors going right now. Co-created a show I've never watched one minute of. I know Carrie Russell's in it. I don't know what it is, but it was on the WB. So if you get technical, like literally the channel. So it's it like we're huge. going back. It was huge. Wildly popular. It was wildly popular, I think, generally for the fairer sex. I mean, I was 12 years old. I was not watching Felicity. So he co-created that with J.J. Abrams. Then he made this, wrote and directed, that's his debut, as a rom-com with David Schumer and Quentin Dwight Paltrow, Peak Paltrow. And then he wrote Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. The one on the train. Let's just call it that one. The one on the train okay. with Eric Bogosian. I'm not sure I ever saw that one. Oh, it's good. You know, the first one's on the boat, and, and he's the chef underneath. Then he's on the train, yeah. and Eric Bogosian... Okay, we're going to go way off the tracks here. I saw Eric Bogosian in the airport. Did I tell you this? No. I saw Eric Bogosian in the airport on the way to Florida. He was right behind me. Just, and I said... Just recently. Like last like two weeks ago, basically. <laughs> when I went to Florida, I flew and he was standing right behind me. He had the mask on, but he had that curls. He was wearing a hat, but he had those like silver curls. And you're like, I know who you are, buddy. And he was trying to like kind of be cagey and shit. And I didn't want to be like the dick, but it's like, he's Eric Bogosian. He's not like fucking George Clooney. 
Like, I'm sure he gets called out. He's a stage actor. He's very, yeah, but yeah, but he, you know, he probably still enjoys it from time to time. I think he was not interested. I did look where he was headed. I believe it was, he was going to New Orleans. So he's probably filming something in New Orleans. So I said, this is going to be like super Joe. Okay. That's what I call this super Joe. I said, I loved you in talk radio. And now that is a deep dive, guys. <laughs> I love doing talk radio. Is it Oliver Stone film from circa 1987, 89, where he plays basically Howard Stern. He's a shock jock in the whole movie. He's like revving it up. Awesome. And then he gets like threatened to be killed. It's kind of like pump up the volume a little bit, but the more adulty version with like different music. And you get that voice. He has this great voice. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you don't hear his voice, you might not know it's him. But when he's got the eyes, the hair, and the voice, and then you think, oh, what has he been in lately? He's in Succession. He's on the one of the Law and Orders. He wrote Suburbia. So this man's working. So I don't know why we got to Eric Bogosian, but continue, Steve-O. I forget you met him in the airport. Oh, because he's the bad guy in Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. <laughs> you have to say, colon, Dark Territory. Or so, the dark, colon, Dark Territory. Did you know that dark territory, your colon is the dark territory? Yeah, I feel like uh, that explains itself. All right. All right. Good job. Good job. How do we get into butt jokes? I don't even know. Um, because dark territory. And anyway, I'm not going to be like a dick. Like he wasn't a nice guy. He just like grunted. And then like we were both in TSA pre-check. So we were basically moving real fast and we just got going. He went his way. I went to beautiful central Florida and hopefully one day. We'll get on the podcast to interview him. And I could tell him about the time where I, I said, I loved you and talk radio. You were, you were real dick that day. Just found out some terrible news or something, you know, like. <laughs> it wasn't a real dick. He was just like, he's just like, thank you. But it also like, I'm Jewish. Nebuchadnezzar Jewish. He like, covid like, leave me alone. You know, like masks on, we're getting out of here. Like, I don't need, I don't need to get sick on the way to this fucking shoot that I have to do in yeah. this area or whatever. Yeah. And Eric, I love your work. Keep doing what you're doing. We're going to get back to the Batman. That's it. So, so Matt Reeves' visual style, let's get back on track a little bit and into initial impressions, basically, is what we were saying. How would you comp it then with Nolan a little bit? That's what I would say, because you said, you know, it starts with dark. The Nolan stuff isn't lighter. The Schumacher stuff isn't lighter. The Tim Burton stuff, but it has a little bit of white in it, I guess, or a little bit of white and light. The Schumacher stuff is like more like neon, right? It's the same with uh, Burton to an extent. Like there's just like other things going on other than the darkness. But really, I think where a lot of the, and because I scoped out your notes a little bit beforehand, I think you're going to say a similar thing. But one of the biggest things that came here to say is like, this Bruce Wayne is Batman. He's not Bruce Wayne. This is the first time that I've seen this in a movie where he's not like perfectly balancing Bruce Wayne and Batman. No, he's fucking lost in the bat right now. Like in this time, in this movie, right from the beginning, right from the get-go, there is no like doubt about it he is just in down a dark fucking hole that he cannot get out of and the first thing that he encounters in the movie is like this seven fucking murder and he's like all right now time to be a detective it plays with it too because it could have just said this is the origin story right this is the trick origin story where you think this is his origin story they're showing the boring crap again they're doing the halloween they show a zorro thing they show a this they show a that and you're like they're gonna do it again no way they're not gonna do it again and what they did was there's actually another murder that kind of mirrors his family murder which makes it even more effective when we meet him and he's like watching his own family the history of his own family and this child that he can live vicariously through. That's an excellent writing trick of how to do it, but for the people in the know and then not do it. 
at the same time. I think that's actually where I was like, okay, you've got me here. I mean, there's some other stuff, whatever, but it seemed grounded right from that moment. You get that Halloween moniker from the long Halloween too, from the, one of the better Batman series, you know? So we're setting all of our template there. And I think the last thing I'll say is even from that moment, it starts quiet. If this was a Nolan movie, it would have to start with some kind of jacked up chase sequence. Batman and Nolan always had a perpetual motion. It had this Hans Zimmer score that was like, dunt, dunt, and you're like doing that. And you got the bad news. Everything was moving forward. This was like standing in place. And you have this beginning of a Detective 7 movie between Jeffrey Wright and the Batman, or the I'm calling him the Bat-Pat, but the Batman or the Bat-Pat, they're doing their brooding together, deliberative brooding in combination. But it sets the mood properly. I mean, it, it, really, it really does a great job to invert that, give you a little treat, and then also like show you the pace of this movie. It's not going to be the chase scene after chase scene movie. Yeah, which I, I actually really appreciate that because especially the, the detective parts of like, all right, he goes and like looks for clues at scenes of crimes. You keep hearing over and over because it's the comics thing, right? Like the greatest detective in the world, Bruce Wayne, like Batman, you know, like he's the greatest detective in the world. And like it's detective ever, comics. DC is detective comics. Yeah, much everyone has seen forget. that in a movie before until this one. I mean, not that I would call this Batman the greatest detective in the world by any means, but you see him yeah. doing a little bit of work. Another thing I want to say, like before we move on from the beginning is there's like the voiceover right at the beginning that he that he's like talking. And I, I remember like one of the, line stuck with me similar to like the you embrace the shadows i was born in them line from the last movie it was where he's talking about it and have, i'm gonna paraphrase here because i don't remember the exact line and i didn't look it up but he's like doing a voiceover while he's like hunting down criminals he's like they think i hide in the shadows but i am the shadows and i was like yeah that's a fucking really good batman like opening line like a batman b like noir c like it just preps you for like what the complete depths of his own obsession that he's like fallen down into in the at this point in his life. So I really like that. But yeah, and I think that's the, you're missing the thing you said before, but it's also the detective part of it. It's the noir. This place does not have any humor. Not that like the Nolan verse ever had any, but at least there's something that like maybe is humorous or some kind of glimmer or something where one of the characters, everything is like fatal and brutal and dark and everyone's kind of questioning everybody else. You get this like, why are you letting him in here thing, which they always do, but it was, it was more effective here. It was more, this was a grounded Batman, right? But it's still a mystery that leads more into the Blade Runner, which is a movie that was highly dictated between the voiceover and non-voiceover. If you go into the history, this movie is Blade Runner without the noir, without the colors. Original Blade Runner or are we talking about the new Blade Runner? Oh, I'm talking about the original was then there was the final cut. So there was a, version where we had no voiceover then there was the version the recut was the voiceover one and then there's the final cut that doesn't have the voiceover one so you kind of get like different batmans in the blade and then the blade runner this looks like that kind of city if they had put a few more lights on basically the city feels like a mashup of the cities which makes it feel like its own place a lot of times when you watch these batman movies they don't have that feeling like you can tell that's hein stadium in pittsburgh and that's you know from new york and that's a street here you have these the train tracks these little touches that it looks like the dirtiest version of every city mixed together and you're like this is it's actually a new place which i really really appreciated yeah i feel like usually you feel gotham is either new york or chicago and this one didn't particularly feel like, I guess it felt more like New York than Chicago in this one, I would say. 
Maybe. Only because they did like the accents. I feel like the reason you would know is like the penguin sounds like he's from the Bronx. So that was where I get when they did accents. It was a New York accent. It wasn't a Chicago accent. But other than that, I think the elevated train tracks, they had the Times Square view, but it didn't look as normal Times Square view, right? They had the train system view, but it, it wasn't like Grand Central Terminal. It was different. There's enough people that know New York enough that know that that's New York versus like it was a different city. It ruins it for a lot more people when you just take a place and put Gotham on the word. <laughs> we won't go to Gotham Square Garden anytime soon, but let's just, you know, like that's a real cheat there. Okay, we've gotten through a little bit of that. Anything else you want to say about about Reeves in general? The one other thing I wanted to point out, we did go into the early, you know, joke about his early career, but I think he's done a great job since then of Cloverfield, I think was an interesting, I haven't watched, gone back, but I know that was kind of like, I remember that being effective and like a good J.J. Abrams crossover. And the Planet of the Apes reboots that he handled, I don't revisit them because they're also long, but I do remember them being engaging that I really wanted to see them more than the Tim. He actually replaced Tim Burton in something else, right? So this isn't the first time he's kind of stepped into a role that Tim Burton <laughs> did before him. So anything else on, on Matt Reeves or on the story, you know, what he did here? No, I, I, I think that was solid. I, I'm looking forward to getting into, you know, like a little bit more of the nitty gritty, I guess, on this real quick. I don't know how many times Tim Burton definitely didn't write his Batmans. I guess the Nolans probably involved with the Batman writing, but I think it's the, like David Kep and some other people, right? So this is a, a unique, like singular vision where like he came up with the world and he got to imagine it and then he got to represent it. So I feel like the way this came out does feel like digested through one major set of eyes, at least when it came to the continuity of the characters and the style and the presentation and the groundedness and everything else. So that unlike some of the other movies where like Nolan gets a lot of credit, but it's like, well, look at all the stunt work and everything else. In this movie, I want to give him even more credit because it, he could have made it easy on himself and made it like an action movie and whatever. And he decided like, no, I want to make it this grounded real fighting Batman without all the toys and the tools. It's the not jacked up guy. It's the real guy. That's my thank you for Matt Reeves. So I sound like you were done for that. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to do, we're going to go through the characters and do a, a nice heavy, when you talk Batman, you got to talk characters and comparisons and history because there's so much of it. So that's why this movie is so long. There are all the superheroes and hopefully you've already watched the movie, but we'll give you our feeling on it when we come right back. All right, we're back and we're talking characters. I don't know about doing plot here on this movie. It's a three-hour movie that has a lot. I'm not going to say too much plot, but a lot of plot. But we'll at least say, like, if we liked our Batmans, if we liked our people and, and what we thought about it. So we'll start with the Pat Bat, the Bat Pat. I'm going to go with Bat Pat. I like Bat Pat. And like you said, you stole it from me from before, but I'm going to start with him. I loved the focus here. I always think Bruce Wayne is the weakest part of all these movies. I think they have those scenes just to give a reprieve of the cheaper scenes that they don't have to do superhero effects. They get to put on like the costumes and it gives it a little bit of a glamour and gives you the romance angle. They didn't set apart a separate section, basically make a separate movie this time to do that. And it falls more in line with what they do well in the animated movies. Even though the animated movies streamline this to an essence, I was watching Hush last night and I'm like, it's every one of these movies is 80 minutes, just as much happens. And it's more interesting. Great job with their animated stuff. Yeah, they do. And the reason that this one, I think, extends itself, and I've said it to anyone who asked me, is that because they really tried to force other HBO Max properties in here to like extend the universe. This wasn't just a movie for this movie. It was a movie to build a universe of television shows around it for the Penguin and other things. So that's why it's long. And that's why we're going to be going through at least 
eight villains here or whatever and not like where it starts with one or two and then third one second movie has three and the last movie has like a a team up so pat bat like the one-sidedness the uniform nature of his facade his cave and his inability to balance it when you're learning something you need to focus on that singularly i think and this movie really shows you this is the beginning somehow bale was able to like train and then become both of them at the same time and yeah they always dismiss the company and say like the you know god whatever they didn't even go into wayne enterprises this time and i was like you know what thank god i don't need another boardroom i don't need any of this shit it's boring we want to see batman so i'm really happy with that and it made that he didn't have to do like two dumb voices at the same time. Yes, we do see Bruce Wayne, but he doesn't change at all. He just looks like he just like he took the mask off and that's it. What did you think of the Pat Bat? Yeah, yeah, I like like I said earlier, I like the fact that it's like he's kind of unhinged in this, like he's not doing well mentally, which is something that I would expect from somebody that was doing something like this. Right. Like he is not only fighting crime in his off time, but like he's fighting like some of the most deranged people that <laughs> exist in Gotham. Like it's going to fuck you up. And yeah. I like that they went in like a similar way to seven with this in kind of the, the feel and the, and the vibe of it. But yeah, I, I think that Hanson does a good job at, at this. I like this type of Batman where it's like, Oh, let's, let's actually like explore what the real fallout of living this type of life would be on a person. Not like, Three minutes later, he's like Playboy millionaire Bruce Wayne, you know, like hosting a fucking gala event. It's not going to be easy to transition between those two lifestyles or those two personalities. And they do a good job of showing how it how it's affecting him. The Batman movies, the quality lands on the villains, but the movies hinge on the Batman being good or at least being of a certain quality. And when you go back through the history, the separation, a Clooney is more of a Bruce Wayne and less of a Batman, right? I think that's what ends up happening. And when you force this, who's supposed to be a, a up and coming brand new, like year one, year two, what, year two Batman type person, right? And you're like, he's fully formed. It doesn't make sense. If you skip that, then you skip the part people are more interested in now. It's kind of the nitty gritty of, of how they got that way in a real way and not just like yada yada it. So I think excellent Batman. So where does the Batpat, rank in your in your levels would you where would you put him in and obviously you only got one shot at it so some of the other ones obviously got more shots at it but let's even say like one each first movie for all the actors would you say this where would you say this this ranks for you the first movie for all the actors yeah i think that's a fair question because if you say like michael keaton had two bale has three movies not that like they even changed that much but we're you know, doing the movie Batman. Well, you could go into the animated, I guess, but you're like, yeah, whatever, whatever you want. Do whatever you want, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I, so the the animated series Batman played by... I think he also is the voice in the Phantasm, right? Because I Kevin watched Conroy. Conroy. Yeah, Kevin Conroy, uh, yeah. yeah. Who is my favorite Batman? I just love his voice and the way that his take on it. In terms of the movies, I really liked Keaton back in the day, but Pattinson, I think, really holds his own. Especially if we're talking in terms of first movies, like Keaton, right. first Batman was, I think, better than any, any, I think he only did one more, right? The first two, yes. Yeah. Panson, good job. I think he holds his own with all of them. Yeah, well, I think he carries the movie. The, the funny thing about the second Batman Returns, I watched it again recently, Bruce Wayne isn't in the first 30 minutes, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's basically Christopher Walken, Danny DeVito, Selena Kyle, they're all getting introduced. So a lot of times what they did was they'd introduce them, the main one, and then they'd build up everybody else because you already had the built-in reference. So to me, I would say Michael Keaton's the best Bruce Wayne and 
I don't know how to give credit on the Batman side because generally it's just the action scenes you're ranking. So best Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne. I feel like Pattinson definitely has a chance to, I won't be bail for me. I always was not, a, I love Christian Bale in every movie that's not, doesn't start with the word fat in it, but I am not interested in his Batman portrayal at all. The rest of the, you know, Batman Forever type, not so much either. So it comes down to, to Pattinson and Keaton. I would say you watch the old movie. It's pretty awkward. You know, the, the back comes out and he's fighting like this. And so I think Pattinson is the feels the most in line with what I want my Batman to be. So I will give the, the Pat Bat, Bat Pat the top as that side of it. So that's my inclination. Let's go on to the cat. So I'll let you you lead off on Zoe, who I know I'm a big fan of. Zoe Kravitz can play Catwoman forever. She's the best Catwoman that's ever been on screen. I think by a wide margin. Listen, I love Michelle Pfeiffer in uh, Spandex in 1998 or whenever that movie came out. But um, I loved Zoe Kravitz in this. I thought she did a great job. And they had serious chemistry on screen too, which was great to see, especially after the last movie. And it was Catwoman last movie. Anne Hathaway showed up in the the third movie. (laughs) It's like, is that worse than Alicia Silverstone playing Bat-Lady, Bat-Girl, Bat-Woman? But Zoe, Zoe Kravitz all day, Catwoman, best one. Well, I think it's the best part is because they did the Selena Kyle the best. Mm-hmm. I think that's why she stands out. She is the, I'm going to go again with the divergence. She is the best Selena Kyle. I went back and watched the returns uh, right around when I watched the Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer is ungodly in that movie, especially in that stupid suit. So it is a tough one. I would say it's a close one. I would give it to Michelle Pfeiffer, but I think we're going to get a chance to get more Zoe Kravitz, which means she has a chance to get past her because she gets more of a role. The role for the, Michelle Pfeiffer and just female characters back then were just so toothless. There's a scene where she eats the, she actually eats the bird. I looked that up and I was like fascinated. You know, she eats a bird in the original. It's crazy. It's it's insane. And it's the best Michelle Pfeiffer possibly ever gets. But when it comes to Zoe, she's excellent kind of all the time. I mean, I can go through her recent credits, but it sounds like you want to say something else. I really wanted to give credit where credit is due on Julie Newmar. The original Julie Newmar. Yeah. We're leaving the TV show. I mean, we could do, you can do it there. I just want to give them props. I'm not necessarily putting them in the conversation, but they're very like five minute spurts, right? This movie, there's so much that Zoe Kravitz has to handle. And so she's so imperative to the story. I think the way that it unravels with her and we'll get into Falcone and, and her job and working in the club and the love interest and the two dual love interest and the kind of the smartness with the technology and everything else. She's just so good. I mean, I just saw her in Kimmy, which I thought wasn't a great movie overall, but she is great in. She's really good in the High Fidelity series. But this is like a step up from... She's been doing movies like this for 10 years, but just she's garbage, right? She's in the X-Men movies and she just doesn't even speak the whole time. Those ones where she's the kid... I call them the kid X-Men movies. I don't know, the first class ones. She's in Mad... I forgot she's in Mad Max, but I was like, this is one of the women who doesn't talk in Mad Max. Like these are roles that are so fruitless that you forget she's in them. And now she, you know, has gone to the next level so quickly that she is, I think, the most interesting bankable person at this level. And it was the perfect casting. She's sultry. She's sexy. She's enchanting. She's everything you want the Catwoman to be. And it's not like the Catwoman where it's, she can like fly, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what the Michelle Pfeiffer one, like from goes from dying to like being able to like throw a whip and fly all over within like a day. It seems like she's been Catwoman for a while so that she's earned her, her stripes. That's my move. You want to go quick Penguin? You want to go Riddler? You, you pick. Penguin, give me DeVito any day. I love, I love DeVito as Penguin. I thought he played that perfectly in a, in a movie that was, could have been much better, but his whole 
everything walk, 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 walk. with walking. It was great in, in that movie. I, I don't know. I, I loved it. I don't know how you feel about it, but um, Colin Farrell does a great job of getting a lot of prosthetics put onto him. <laughs> he, he doesn't do much. It's not, not much happens with the penguin in this. So it's not like it's a it's thankless. It's a thankless move. It's a chess piece for later on for HBO Max, for some other movie, whatever else. So hey, I, I feel I about have, Alfred. They yeah. got Andy Circus, Andy Circus to do Alfred, and they he was in like three minutes of the movie. I don't, I have no idea why they got him. Get anybody else that doesn't cost as much money because he is not in this movie at all. I mean, I think that Matt Reeves only knows how to deal with Andy Circus when he's playing a, an ape. I believe when he's playing an actual human, he's not allowed to be in the movie. But I think it, you know Andy Circus didn't he just direct the movie at the same time? Didn't he direct one of the big action movies? He just directed Venom, the sequel of Venom, is directed by Andy Circus. I believe well, he should have we, just. Not done that and been in this movie more. I believe I watched the like Andy Circus featurette and he was like so excited about like being involved in this movie. And I'm like, you fucked it up, buddy. I and mean, not that it was good, but Penguin, blah, blah, blah. Danny DeVito, that's easy. Burgess Meredith is a close heart second because that's like the old man version of it. The Danny DeVito gets it from being the Tim Verdon version of it and the, the claw, the actual like the fingers and the grossness and the blood and the eating and the, the all the umbrellas and it nose off. Oh my God, it's, it is a crazy movie. I mean, I don't know if everyone's watched it recently, but guys, it is a crazy. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. So that's fine. I'm going to skip that's easy one. Let's go with the Riddler. So I think this is, this is the biggest divergence by far in character representation and also in modernizing the criminal elements. And you said seven, I say Zodiac, which is still Fincher. The scene, like basically when they catch him and that I call it the Nighthawk diner scene, you know, the guy sitting in the diner and they stare at him. Paul Dano has been a creepy motherfucker for a long time and he leans in in his in his best ability here. But uh, what's your Riddler feedback and your Riddler level for Mr. Dano? Sure. I love Paul Dano in this role. I thought he did a great job. I usually don't enjoy the Riddler these days. Like when I was a kid, I loved that character. And now I'm like, this is so fucking corny and dumb, which is why I'm glad that they did this with the character. And they're like, all right, this is like a villain with actual teeth, right? Like the Riddler is usually like just this joke of a character while the Joker is usually the scarier of the two by like a mile, right? I like that they kind of put the Riddler on par with the Joker in this movie. And that said, if you haven't seen this movie yet, for sure, don't listen to this next part, but there is a Joker teaser right at the end. And the guy, Barry Keough, I thought of you right away. He's going to be why the last man. He was <laughs> supposed to be Yorick, and you understand why he wouldn't be it. But, oh man, we'll see about that. Yeah. I don't even think this is the Riddler. That's the funny part about this. This feels like a different character completely. It feels like more of the more modern ones that you read about, but it's not the playful, green-suited Jim Carrey, Frank Gorshin. Like, I believe some, I didn't know this, but when Frank Gorshin played him in the TV series, Riddler was a minor, minor character. So he basically created that kind of vibe of this, that he was one of the big characters in the Batman villain. The goofy, flamboyant, like... uh, The hopping around with the green and the purple and the cane and the question marks and all the question marks. I appreciated that that wasn't what we were going to get now because it doesn't fit the time. It doesn't fit the feel. It doesn't fit the combatant. They say this in the movie, but the reason that these villains pop up is because the Batman pops up, right? It's kind of a 50-50 where they have to bring up their game because the Batman brings up their game. So bringing up their game isn't like dyeing your hair red and putting on a purple mask, I think. And I believe his character's name is not Enigma, at least, you know, like stupid shit. So 
it leans much more into the the incel crowd and the the live feed awfulness and the school murderers, you know, like some kind of creepy, 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 creepy. And Zodiac, right? It's it's really like a serial killer vibe. Mm-hmm. This isn't new territory. He's not breaking new territory, but you're transposing that feel, which Reeves has said, we're not being purely insightful into this character. It's excellent, but it's different. So I would, on Riddler comp, Frank Gorshin, I think he's the creator of the Riddler as we know it. I think this is a completely different character. I'm not going to like say one is better than the other because it's almost like, it's not a comparison. You can compare Joker versus Joker, even when it's like villainous, awful, terrorizing Joker versus silly Joker. This isn't the same type of silly versus. This is just a person with issues versus a person that is trying to get under someone's skin, I guess. That's what I would I would say. But yeah, so that's that. And um, we did Penguin. Let's do the last two, I will say. You already said Alfred. I don't know. Best Alfred is the original Alfred. I don't know his name. He's fine. From the first movies, Mr. Alfred. Totoro. Taturo as Falcone is not someone I expected to be in this movie as much. I think he replaced basically the Penguin. I think he's the, what you thought the Penguin role was going to be. They gave it to John Taturo and I was fine with it because I didn't have to stare at like dumb makeup and it was a key pod to the whole reveal. But what did you think of the Falcone part? I love Taturo as this part and nobody else is really like in the movies anyway, has really like embodied this role like super forcefully and i thought that torturo did a really good job with it and yeah i mean like i feel like it was the first time that falcon is like front and center in a movie it's yeah. like a major villain and he does a good job i think it's funny because if you think of the nolan movies there's always a character like this but they barely are in the movie it's always some like yeah. british actor and they just disappear like a ben mckenzie is that his name the one that's in like bloodlines but he's also you know he's in a lot of the nolan movies as well and yeah it's just this is a, a fleshed out character, but it also is cool that it's him past being the boss, right? He's the boss, but he's like post boss. So it isn't like he's another, you know, it's another boring crime boss. When you see the first Batman and Jack Nicholson's the young Jack Napier, young, he's in his 50s probably. And then you have Jack Palance in his like 300s running the gang. And you're like, why is grandpa in charge of all the gangsters again? Is it because he can't hear and he he's sleeping with the young women. I, I, I'm not 100% sure what's going on here. This felt more, and it was, you know, key cog into the reveal that the the high society and the, the top of the low society merged to basically make this city what it is now and is the causation of the entire, the blow up of the entire movie. So there's no comp really for that. The last one, this is, is a big one, but uh, Jeffrey Wright is one of my favorite actors. He plays Gordon. We get him early on. We get a lot of him visually. What did you think about him as as Gordon? And what did you think about, you know, the amount of, of work he got to do in the movie? So, yeah, as, uh, same. I, I love Jeffrey Wright. I, I love basically everything he does. And I thought he did an amazing job. Like, I could have him as Gordon, like uh, just a show about him as Gordon. I would watch that. It's weird because he, I feel like he's in this movie a decent amount, but he's not, it doesn't feel like he's in this movie as much. No. He kind of gets like he gets short shrift and he lets he just lets Batman in the door over and over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't have he kind of lets Hanson in and then like steps to the side and like lets him do his Batman thing. And I get that to an extent, but it's like I I feel like he kind of gets overshadowed a little bit in the scenes that you get with him. I think he does a great job. I think he's awesome. Gordon, I would love to see him get a little bit more work (laughs) in the next movie. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of the thanklessness of Gordon. It's strange. I was watching the last one from Nolan, the Rises one, Dark Knight Rises. 
And you're like, why is Gary Bowman, why is he in the hospital for two thirds of this movie talking <laughs> to Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Like, yeah. What's the point here? I mean, I think this is a role that's important. It is like the guidepost. It's our, you know, center. They have to come in and make sure the Batman doesn't kill somebody, which again, I'm pretty sure the Pat Bat killed at least three people in this movie. There's no way he didn't kill anybody. I know the whole point is he doesn't. I think this is the Batman that, that kills, to be honest. Batman that kills and the Batman that fucks. So I think we're, we're leaning into that. I think he kind of got to play <laughs> going back to seven. And that's why it feels like he's Morgan Freeman. And Batman is kind of the young ingenue, the Brad Pitt character yeah. coming in and solving the crime. And you, you need the old guy to bring in the young guy. That also gives him that wherewithal. So Jeffrey Wright, I'm trying to think if he's my favorite. He's definitely better. Than, I forgot the, the the original one. He's just, the, isn't it just the Irish guy? I always thought it was like a regular person, but like they haven't, the guy that's the Irish chief is Gordon in, in the original ones. In the original the yeah, ones? In the Keaton ones. It's a, it's like just a, a Scottish Irish old guy, I believe. I mean, you probably have two of the greatest actors of our generation between Gary Oldman and Jeffrey Wright. So it's a toss up, but neither of them ever get enough to do in these movies that it makes it really worthwhile. They're just almost like too old to be Batman. All right. So we we got an option. Anything we want to really cover on the story here about, you know, I almost called you Batman. Hey, Batman. Give away my secret identity, man. Anything else you want to cover on the actual story or how it results? Because otherwise, I feel like we've we've covered this movie in its pieces. I don't know if people want us to break down this entire plot. I will just say my, my last part is I enjoyed most of this movie and I understand why the last section's there, but I think it feels the most tacked on. I don't like it. I get, I get a lot of people tell me, well, that's the part where it has a redemptive quality where like a lot of the Batman movies just feel like they end in drudgery again. Like he saved the city, but he got blown up or not. And he seems like a cat bat to me. Like the thing that people have been telling you. So. Yeah, well, and he saves the mayor. Like we skip the mayor angle and all the politics part of this and you have like a black mayor and it's kind of like the assassination attempt and the incels take, like he gives himself up and the incels take over the, not the asylum, the opposite of the asylum. I just thought that whole section, I think it was poorly directed. I think it was poorly, the spacing was, was like when you watch one of those movies where they're walking on the catwalks during the plays. But if you didn't know where everyone was and they just start falling all over the place and there's water and it's dark and it's like Madison Square Garden, but not, it burnt it a little bit for me. If it, it just ended an earlier point or just didn't have this like big saving thing, it made it more a small scale movie. Mm-hmm. And like he just actually caught the Riddler, I would have probably been fine with it. But they don't do that anymore. They give five endings. I didn't hate that part, but there were like four, like literally four endings after that. And I was like, come on, man. Like just one of the, just end. After he like trudges through the water and like saves everybody in the building, then they like go to the asylum and then they have the Catwoman send off and they have like, like you don't need all this shit, man. Like there's like 20 minutes of extra movie at the end of this movie that is just fluff. Yeah. It's just like all these Things that we could have assumed happened. Like, you don't need to show all this stuff. The real emotional ending in this movie is is that part. Like, whether or not you love the flooding of the city and all that stuff, the real emotional ending of the movie is after that is done. And yeah. then after that's done, there's just, like, three or four tacked-on, like, extra scenes that are like, why am I still sitting here? You know, like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, I think the only other thing that maybe the connected tissue is they, they introduced that child at the beginning. They're like, well, I guess we want to show like him doing something for this kid again. Like that's kind of representative. So he's saving yeah. himself something. I'm sure there's some good reasons if you do it in a writing sense. 
but it felt long. It didn't feel that great. It didn't feel that epic. It just felt large scale, the flooding, everything else. I, I don't want to poop on everything, but I do think if I stopped, like you said, if we stopped that movie way earlier, I would have been fine with it. If we just changed it up, if we just said continues next time or, or he actually catches the Riddler himself, like it's an inversion. It's a trick. It's like um, a thriller trick where it's like, I'm going to give it up. That's the seven trick. It literally is seven, right? We said seven. That's the seven. I know we're not allowed to say the guy's name in seven, but that guy who won best supporting actor and for usual suspects and plays creepy killers. And then we're shocked. He's creepy. This is what he's leaning into. So that's it. I think Batman, I can't think of anything else we didn't cover. We made the longest episode three times as long as we were planning. So we'll stop there and we'll take a quick break and we'll let you know what's coming up next time on Bubbling Up. And we're back next time on Bubbling Up. It is samurai time. We're going to be digging into the old archives to do Usagi Yojimbo, Volume 1, 1984 or 85 or 86. Nice little black and white samurai party. I'm going to use that as a chance to co-opt and talk about all of the samurai and stuff that I want to talk about and Westerns. And basically, we're just going to talk about Westerns and samurai and use this as the base code. So, Steve-O, get ready. Do not talk about Usagi Yojimbo, but talk about it. I'm not talking about the plot points of, of basically rehashed plots from every other samurai thing I watched in the last five years. But are you excited, Steve-O? I cannot wait. I just did the reading on it. This is the first time I've read this book that I've been meaning to read for years, and I'm very excited to dig into it. Hi-ya! Uh, all right. And so for myself, Mr. Joe Sorry and Steve-O, make sure you reach out and do your stuff. We're going to put all the contact points in the uh, episode description stuff. We're not going to bubble it through right now, but we will see you next time on Bubbling Up. Yeah, it's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro so nice, we used it twice. What? You want show credits over here? All right. I was your production manager, Steve Ramosi. Still am, I guess. And the other guy was the brains of the whole operation, Joe Soria. We want to thank you for tuning in, and we hope we see you on the next episode. Uh, goodbye! Great timing. <laughs>